I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. But as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stone. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube on a Wednesday. I'm back on the show. Time to react to the full NFL trading deadline, which passed yesterday. So we got a lot to talk about here, Sam. Yeah, as well as the uh, the Raiders firing everybody. Raiders cleaned house. Or in the wee hours of the night. Wasn't the wee hours of the night. It was 3 a.m. Eastern. Nobody cares what it was Eastern when It was Las midnight Vegas. Pacific. When That's Las late. Vegas, apparently it was 10 p.m. Pacific is what people are saying. You with your, oh, this happened at 3 a.m. as if it was the middle of the night over there and Mark Davis, fresh off just dumping like $100,000 into the slot machines, decided to fire everybody. It was 10 p.m. their time. I saw it at 3 a.m. when I woke up because one of my kids was coughing. That's a very different thing. Now, we, we're getting more comments in the YouTube chat, Sam, like we used to get years ago. Yeah. Remember that we had that stretch where people really thought we didn't like each other. <laughs> and we're getting more of those comments. It's always on the review show, though. Well, that's what 7 I in the morning. We're yeah. cranky. I think it's because we're cranky. Yeah. But we do enjoy working together. Um, also, it's okay to disagree. Like We disagree on stuff, which is great. Not we should. okay. I mean, that's the basis of the shouty shows. It is. It's right? literally it's the thing everybody's chasing. People make money by saying, here's the obvious take. Let me go completely opposite on the other side yeah. and give you the other take. Like Stephen That's a. how Smith's. people make money around these parts. Stephen A. Smith's entire existence is finding somebody yeah. to argue with. You think you saw this, but I'm going to tell you it was actually that. Right. Right. So that, not that we're trying to do that. I'm just saying disagreement is, uh, is acceptable here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's get into it. The Raiders have absolutely cleaned house. Uh, Dave Ziegler, the general manager, and Josh McDaniels, head coach, are out. Or if you want to look at it in a positive light, they've promoted several people overnight. Antonio Pierce fired up the, uh, the ziggurat right to the top. And Champ Kelly. Champ Kelly's the uh, interim GM over mm-hmm. there. So you're right. Let's, let's reposition that. <laughs> Raiders promote from within. Yeah, just making moves Look at that. overnight. Everyone Added, else is sleeping, apparently. Raiders adding jobs. Yeah, and the Raiders are just, just promoting people right up the ladder. Uh, what was your initial take on this? You've got some, I mean, you've had some strong Josh McDaniels takes anyway, um, that he's not good. Yeah. The evidence is, is, is mounting that that might be true. <laughs> this might be the, uh, the end of the Josh McDaniels head coaching era. No. He's now. He's young enough that he can do a whole new cycle of going back to New England, no, being offensive so. coordinator for eight years again, and then getting hired as a head coach again, the one, ideally in an AFC West team so we can go through the, the entire division and then bomb the entire process again. Like, we've got time for another whole cycle. Yeah, uh, I don't think Tom Brady's not there anymore. It might not happen this time around. I mean, that is a challenge now. But the man's only 47 years old. He's got time. Uh, Bill Barnwell of ESPN, uh, because he did the research, I want to give him some credit. He says he couldn't find any coach that was fired midseason twice. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's a good argument to be made that he is two of the worst head coaching hires in the last 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Barnwell does a pretty good job breaking down the Raiders' transgressions from his perspective, but also reliving the 2009-2010 Denver Broncos, which included 
McDaniels moving on from Jay Cutler. Phenomenal. Getting first-round picks, spending the first-round picks on Tim Tebow, starting 6-0 in his career, and then not winning too many games after that. Yeah. Uh, according to Ari, uh, he his career as a Broncos head coach lasted longer than his career as a Raiders head coach. 694 days versus 639. What The thing that really as stands out— seven back, seconds ago, the uh, Yahoo Sports, as per Burt Breer, the Raiders have also fired offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi. Ah, so... Mike Lombardi's son? Yes. No, no, I understand that. Um, hmm. The No comment other than Mike Lombardi takes some idiot shots at PFF every now and then. <laughs> That's all. Okay. Mike says some stupid things. Mike does say some stupid things. Always has done, in fact. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I was thinking about that. We have an email that we'll get to at some point. Uh, talking about Josh McDaniels, Jimmy G, the Raiders, etc. And I was kind of looking through some of their tape. Um, and I was kind of wondering, like, okay, you just fired the guy whose offense it is. Like, what are you running at the moment, right? Because you can't, I mean, are you going to start from scratch with a new offense? But the guy previous, you know, the, the assistants are still there. I, I was confused as to what they're doing. Now they fired the assistants as well. It's the same question, albeit with a different uh, dynamic. I mean, play. midseason, you're not like, all right, we're going from uh... – you know, Earhart Perkins right. system, the yeah, West yeah. Coast, we're going to change the terminology. It's going to be the same terminology, different play caller. Right, but you have fired, like, the architects of the offense. Yeah. All of them at this point. So that does make things different. Like, my initial reaction, the thing that jumps out to me when you look back and now review Raiders, McDaniels, and Denver McDaniels is the similarity between the two are insane. Like, it genuinely looks. How long was he back in New England after the the Broncos mess? Like a decade? Ten years. Yeah. yeah. He got back there officially in 2012. It was 2012 through 21. Right. So he went back for a decade and appears to have learned nothing as a head coach. Like you, your initial reaction is, okay, the, the Broncos thing went bad. It, you know, he was young. He was only mid 30s. Like this was a. It was just too too soon. Too much too soon. He did an absolute train wreck of a job there. He drove this franchise off a cliff in two years and got fired. Now he went back to New England. He went back to his old job. He learned his lessons. This time it will be different. What's genuinely amazing is that this time was like a carbon copy replica of what he did the last time, right? Down to, okay, you have a quarterback that might not be great, but is pretty good and is, you know, good enough and you decide you want to move in a different direction, right? So they did that with Jay Cutler the first time in Denver, did it again with Derek Carr and the Raiders. You know, we're going to sit him for the final couple of weeks lest he get injured and we get on the hook for his contract. We are unceremoniously dumping the franchise quarterback. Uh, okay. And in both, in both instances, it was a defendable decision, right? Jay Cutler, it's like, I mean... The rest of Jay Cutler's career is why they wanted to move on from Jay Cutler. As talented as he was, he was never going to be the guy. Derek Carr, you know, we've been through that before as well. So it's an entirely defendable uh, thing to happen. But in the case of Jay Cutler, you then, your answer was Tim Tebow, right? I mean, that's, you somehow, your defendable decision got made look dumb by the fact that your solution to that was even worse. And now with the Raiders, your solution has been Jimmy G which is worse. So again, you've made a defendable decision and then made it look stupid by your solution to the new quarterback. Then you get like the offense, your sort of part of this thing schematically is not <coughs> working. Uh, the personality thing seems to be a problem. Like 
last week after, not even last week, the yesterday, the comments after Monday Night Football, when you have Josh Jacobs basically saying, I don't know how you fix the offense. It's not my job. You know, Devontae Adams being pissed off. Like, the kind of comments coming out of that locker room are of the type of, we have frustrations directed at a certain person, but, you know, we can't make too much of a noise about it because that we know what that does. So it's sort of sounding like he's losing the locker room as well, the way he lost it in Denver. I'm just so staggered how much of a complete replica this was of the last time he, he made an absolute balls of the job. So you're trying to say Josh McDaniels has not learned any new skills no. over the last decade. But as a parent, Sam... You've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. So many. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides a, an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So, yeah, I mean, um, Darren Waller in the offseason, too, they traded him. He was upset. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who are clearly upset. Um, some of the other moves that the Raiders made, remember, like before they cut Derek Carr, or before they traded Derek Carr, um, or cut him. They had to cut him, right? Uh, yeah, he was a free agent, sorry. Yeah. Um, they they re-signed, re-signed him to a big deal. Like they gave right. him a ton of money. They gave Chandler Jones a ton of money. You know, the Devontae Adams move, was it the wrong one? Maybe in the timing of the Raiders organization. Remember when Dave Ziegler came, took, comes well, that- in with McDaniels, they were a playoff team. Okay, they were a real playoff team, but it was like, you know, they overachieved, right? They were in the middle of a rebuild, should have been in the middle of a rebuild, while the Chiefs and the Chargers are clearly better than them. And or at least they should have been, and then they go and get Devontae Adams, which you you know go get the number one wide receiver. I'm all about that, but it's just like a weird well transitional time for the Raiders to be doing that. They went and got Devontae Adams, which in itself is you know a big move, but also part of the selling point is you pair Devontae Adams with his old college quarterback Derek Carr. And when they arrived in Vegas, they were talking up Derek Carr as yeah we believe in Derek Carr, like we think he's the guy now. Either that was a lie all the way along, in which case giving him the contract extension was dumb, and frankly saying it out loud was also dumb. There's different ways to sort of make that point without committing yourself to him when you're planning on getting rid of him. Or in the space of, you know, two-thirds of a season, they decided, oh, we got this completely wrong, and we misevaluated the guy from the outside right away, which is a pretty big red flag for your ability to to do the job competently. Um, and then you made that worse by bringing in Devontae Adams to work with him, then dumping him out of the building, and then you got, like, the whole thing has just been a mess. Uh, I forget where I snipped this from. It was one of those, like, a news aggregation app on my phone, and I just screenshotted it, so I, I don't know what article it's from. But uh, <laughs> this is a little 
little summation of Josh McDaniel's resume as a Raiders head coach. The Raiders suffered some of the most embarrassing defeats in franchise history under, under the McDaniel-Ziegler duo. That included blowing a 20 to nothing halftime lead against Arizona for the biggest collapse in franchise history, losing to, Indi- to Indianapolis in the Colts' first game with Jeff Saturday as an interim head coach after he'd never coached above the high school level, blowing a double-digit lead to Baker Mayfield and the Rams <clears throat> two days after Mayfield joined his new team, and getting shut out in New Orleans when the starting offense failed to cross the 50-yard line and losing to Tyson Bajan, a Division II quarterback, making his first start in the NFL. It hasn't just been losses. It's been like some of the most embarrassing losses that any team has suffered in the last, you know, X number of years in the NFL. Yeah, it's been a rough couple of years. And even even then, I feel like the Raiders have kind of played a, a little above my expectation this year. <laughs> Yeah, because they've uh, you know, they got they got oh, whooped I by the so Bills, but they played tough for in a few games. McDaniel's was my uh, he was my front runner, my bingo card for first head coach fired. I got it, nailed it. What do you win? I don't know. Kudos, kudos. Oh, kudos. Respect then. from my fellow man. Kudos, then Sam. I mean, they they were they were three and three a couple weeks ago. Now their wins are against the Broncos, the Packers, and the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Combined seven wins across those three teams, but at the time we didn't know what the Broncos exactly would be. We thought the Packers were a little bit better a few weeks ago. Uh, New England was was beat down and pretty bad at the time when they beat them. But um, coming off two rough losses against the Bears and then the Monday night game against the Lions. Yeah, the um, the Belichick tree continues to not look great. I mean, the, the most success people coming from the Belichick tree, is it Bill O'Brien? Yeah, it By is. By far, right? Right. You have Eric Mangini had a little run with yes. the Jets. Uh, Romeo Cornell had a little run, and I'm, it might be like a year, like 2007 right. with the Browns. Uh, Charlie Weiss had a year at Notre Dame. Like, <laughs> So this is the thing, right? All of these coaches, that the early Belichick tree that left, had one big year or so where they either made the playoffs or you know Charlie Weiss made a little run with Brady Quinn as his QB. Bill O'Brien's the only one who had decent success as a head coach but as soon as he was handed the keys to yeah. general manager it all fell apart <coughs> right and then you have matt patricia i mean flores i guess did okay for a i was while. gonna say flores but flores had pretty much one good year too where he yeah. was really like his team was really bad he started like one and seven or whatever and then went on a run you would look at them though like in the totality of their resumes post new england you wouldn't call any of them a success no because they all pretty much all got fired yeah, within so, three years. So you've except got O'Brien. You've got that side of things, and then you have now the history of the people that Mark Davis has hired since being in charge of the Raiders. So Al Davis died in what 2011. Uh, since then, I believe Mark uh, Davis has hired one, two, three, four, five, six, seven head coaches. Two of them interim, eight, I guess now with uh, Antonio Pierce uh, stepping up to be interim. So eight head coaches five of them real and three of them interim guys and then three general managers was did he hire reggie or was reggie already there anyway three general managers have been there during his time and when you look at the list of those guys it's not good hugh jackson lasted 16 games before they got rid of him um tony sperano was the interim guy uh then it was dennis allen jack del rio john gruden and then blew up in scandal uh, Rich Basaccia was the interim guy there. Then the Josh McDaniels thing. And now it's going to be Antonio Pierce as the interim guy. And then general manager Reggie McKenzie, <laughs> the Mike Mayock experiment, and then Dave Ziegler. And 
what I think stands out to me the most about that, that list is obviously in hindsight, it looks terrible, right? But even sort of putting yourself in the position of the time, only one of those hires, I think, made sense. Like Dennis Allen is the only guy who at the time, I think, would have been top, top tier candidate for a head coaching job. Like You Gruden, laugh at the Gruden thing just because he was in the booth for 10 years. Yes. Or eight years, whatever it was. It's not crazy. Gruden wasn't was crazy. They hired Gruden out of an announcing booth after a decade on the sidelines. It gave him a 10-year, $100 million contract. Oh, okay, yeah. The mechanics now, of that was definitely Obviously, you couldn't have anticipated the email mess and the fact that he would have to, like, the scandal, right? But it wasn't going well anyway. It's not like Gruden had sort of, you know, justified roll back the years. And we were like, it was this, that felt like, okay, everything I've done so far has been a train wreck. What's the last successful thing I can remember this franchise doing? Give me that guy. It would be like, you know, it was like we were joking about... It'd be like grabbing Jeff Saturday. <laughs> exactly. It was exactly like that, right? It was a higher profile version of that in that, you know, at least he had a, like a, a career as a successful head coach. But... Interesting thing on that list, and um, maybe I'll admit something I'm wrong about. Um, a lot of people wanted Rich Bisaccia to be mm. the head coach because in 2021... They were three and three, three and four. Gruden gets fired. Basaccia takes over. Yep. He was the special teams coach. He becomes interim head coach, and they make the playoffs, winning their last four, <coughs> including that ridiculous last week of the year game to, with the Chargers. And a lot of people are like, well, Rich Basaccia, I mean, he's the guy. He turned it around. Mm -hmm. You had a similar discussion last year with the Carolina Panthers where Steve Wilkes took over. Yep. He was interim coach. I am usually the one, even in college, this happened with um, – Ed Orgeron years ago. Like, he was a good interim coach at USC. And I'm always the one who's like, I don't care if you're a good interim coach. I don't think it matters to project what you're going to do for an entire offseason and everything. But in this, case, in this case, who the Raiders chose, we'll see what happens with the Panthers. Um, maybe they should have gone the interim route. Basachi, give Basachi a, a, a chance. Give um, Steve Wilkes a chance in Carolina. I don't really think like if your team, if you get the team to play well for eight, 10, 12 weeks, it means a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. At the same time, maybe it does. Well, I think because head coach is such a unique position where um, like how much of the job is actually, it's all the stuff Josh McDaniels is apparently horrific at, like man management, motivating your players, all this kind of stuff, right? Sure. Like, it depends on the type of head coach you are. Obviously, if you're Kyle Shanahan, your X's and O's ability is actually a pretty important part of the job, right? It's less so if you're the sort of administrating uh, head coach where your offensive coordinator and your defensive coordinator do the heavy lifting from a schematic point of view, and you're more of a, let's get this on the right track, let's, let's make sure the organization is running well, let's make sure everybody's pumped and ready to go. Like, if you're gonna be that style of head coach, maybe the best thing you can have on your resume is actually like the last eight games of showing you can do that, right? Like maybe the best piece of evidence Steve Wilkes or Rich Bisaccia could have is literally showing they can do the job with the team that you're about to give them. Like, it's not like they did it somewhere else and you're going to hire them based off that. Like they're doing it with this group of players. With a team that was previously not good. Terrible, yeah. right. So you've shown immediately that they can have an impact with the guys you want to turn the, the keys over to. Maybe that is, in fact, exactly what you want. Now, if you're planning on hiring one of those guys, like one of the biggest questions in that interview process would presumably be, hey, who are you planning on hiring? Like who are your, who are your coordinators, right? I think you show me 
you can motivate players, you can get the most out of this group, but you were, you know, a special teams coordinator or you were whatever. Like, who are your coaches going to be? I need to know that part of it before I'm willing to make this leap. But I'm willing to entertain the the idea that that's actually a pretty strong um, line on the resume for those guys, and maybe those guys should get more of an opportunity. Like, if Antonio Pierce comes in, writes this ship, and the Raiders, like, look respectable and good for the rest of the year, I'd say that's actually a pretty strong case that he can run an NFL franchise. And if Antonio Pierce, like, has enough connections that he can go, hey, I'm going to bring in these two strong coordinators, this is who we're going to go with next year, why not give him the job? Something to keep an eye on with the Raiders. But, uh, yeah, everything was bad on offense with the Raiders. And I don't think it should have been. They don't have a terrible offensive line. You have Devontae Adams, who still looks good. Is he the same guy he was three years ago? Maybe you could argue he's not. But right. but is that only because he doesn't have the same production? Like He was still really productive last year with Derek Carr. Um, Jacoby Myers is a really good two. Like You have good you playmakers. Hunter- I can't figure out. Josh Jacobs is averaging three yards a pop, and I don't think the line's bad, and I don't know if Jacobs is bad. Like I don't know. Something's bad there, though. Yeah, and you've got Hunter Renfro caught like 100 passes last year, and now can't even get a target. The, the pieces should be there. And again, I, so we had a yeah. we had an email come in from Austin Putz, longtime listener of the show, a regularly frequent emailer as well. Hi, Sam and Steve. I've been thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo since last night's performance. So this came in late yesterday. Um, I don't think t- uh, today you guys compared him enough to what he did during his time with the 49ers and Shanahan. Uh, I know we all know that uh, Shanahan is a great offense coordinator, but it hasn't specifically come up that I can recall with the 49ers that Jimmy G was at least serviceable in fantasy and as a game manager for the team and winning several playoff games. Uh, this is a good case study for how, sh- how good Shanahan is and how terrible McDaniels is. One question I have is what McDaniels is doing wrong and how, uh, how is he good with Bill Belichick in New England? I don't remember the specifics from today's episode and how exactly he fail- falls apart as a coach, aside from game managing that Sam mentioned. Thanks, Austin. So, you know, we, we've done the Josh McDaniels thing a little bit, but, like, when you started going through the tape and you're looking at, like, what that scheme is doing, it's falling into this category of offenses that is not helping out players. Like, there doesn't appear to be an awful lot of joined-up thinking within the offense. The actual plays they're running don't seem to flow together or connect in any way, even within the, the individual plays. They're not necessarily scheming individuals open or opening things up for specific receivers. Like the first interception that Jimmy G threw was just this nothing double move against like cover two. Like it was a bad decision, but it was also a bad play. Like there was nothing there. Um, and a bunch of the plays in that Lions games, you're watching them, and you're like, this is this is drawing up nothing. Like these are not. There's no interplay with these route combinations. They're not like the sort of established concepts that you're familiar with. They're just routes to nowhere. It's not. It's it's at the other end of the spectrum from like the Mike McDaniel, Kyle Shanahan type of offense where you can see very specifically what is happening, who they're trying to get open, how they're working it. There were a couple of plays in there where you could see that. I mean, ironically, they very well schemed Devontae Adams um, one-on-one a slant route against a, uh, against a linebacker, I think, and then the ball gets batted down the line. It's like, I mean, that was an easy first down and should have been there and was there, and then guy bats it at the line. You're like, okay, that's just getting unlucky. That's bad luck. Right, yeah. but most of the plays were not of that, descript- or that category. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to, like, again, the, the, the Josh McDaniels history here, he took over as New England offensive coordinator in probably like 06. I think it was after Charlie Weiss left. He didn't really get the title. 07, one of the most prolific offenses in NFL history with Brady, Moss, Welker. Um, when McDaniels left, he goes to Denver, which you mentioned. He also went to the Rams for a couple of years. He didn't go directly back to New England. He went to New, back to New England after that. So he was not... He didn't have offensive success in Denver or with the Rams in St. Louis. Goes back to New England, has offensive success, has Brady the entire time. Has Mac Jones. He has Cam Newton in 2020 and Mac Jones in, in 21. And the first half of Mac Jones' career was solid. But honestly, if you look back, and then last year with the Raiders, McDaniels has like a half a season of good offense in a non-Tom Brady world. Mm. That's what he has in his career. Across Denver, St. Louis Rams, New England for two years without Brady, and then with the Raiders. That's it. And even like last year's Raiders offense was fine. It was solid. But it, it, it definitely felt like it could have been a lot better when you have Derek Carr and you have Devontae Adams and Josh Jacobs running the way he did last year. Um, so that's a— And when he went back to New England after the, the whole mess the first time— it, it didn't – this wasn't like New England now where it's like, God, we desperately need somebody to come in and fix the offense. It was kind of like, yeah, we can bring him in, and Tom Brady's familiar with him and likes him. But there was sort of this – there was a general feeling that Brady's basically running his own offense. Well, yeah, like, they went from – it was 2011 to 12 was the transition. They went from Bill O'Brien – Bill O'Brien went and got the Penn State job. Right. Josh McDaniels comes in, and they just pick up yeah. right where and they And it was sort off. of like, yeah. just don't rock the boat and you yeah. know ruin Brady. Like, Brady's got this covered. He doesn't really need an offensive coordinator. He just needs somebody he can get on with. And, you know, and it was like – and then as the years wore on, right, it's like, no, let's give McDaniels a bigger and bigger piece of the credit. He's – yeah, and it's always – I think this comes from, like, announcers, right? Like, guys that talk – the production meetings, right? We yeah. sit down, we talk to Josh McDaniels, and like, ah, let me tell you everything he said, and yada, yada, right? Like – that's Tom, Tom loves Josh. Right. Like, yeah. that's what changes perception. But if you were just left from the outside looking in, you'd be, you'd be with the same opinion, which is, like, Tom Brady's got this covered. All you need is to just not mess it up. That was, like, what I, the, what I said about Bill Belichick making personnel moves that, like, worked a decade ago because you have this failsafe in Brady. Yeah. You know, does, did McDaniels run into that, too? <clears throat> oh, I know offense. I'm going to do it the way we did. With Tom Brady, and you just you know Tom Brady's great. You know Tom Brady's better than Derek Carr. You know he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo, but you don't really feel it until you're in it, right? And it's like, oh no, I I, I have to do more work basically. Um, and but it, again, it goes back to the Shanahan thing as well, um, and why we you know why down downplay the using just EPA as a stat for quarterbacks or yards per attempt or passer rating because those are so team driven. And you saw Jimmy Garoppolo with ridiculous stats yeah. with the 49ers. I also think Garoppolo, every time you watched his games, you're like, oh, man, just a head-scratching decision from Jimmy Garoppolo again. Um, but then you'd go back and say, well, Kyle Shanahan, when he had Jimmy Garoppolo, always made it to the NFC Championship or beyond. And he won way more games than he did with the backups until Brock Purdy showed up. So it's like, all right, maybe Garoppolo for this offense – for Shanahan, is good. Is he leaving something on the table? Sure. But he's good. Like, he, he did a lot of good things. But I think it just – I think it elevates Shanahan again even further to see the A-B analysis of Garoppolo in San Francisco versus yeah. in <clears throat> Las Vegas. It definitely right? does. I mean, you, I think you see two ends of the spectrum in terms of an offense that's elevating people, in particular its quarterbacks, and an offense that is actually harming people, 
including its quarterbacks. But we talked about this on the show yesterday. Like, we talk all the time about when multiple areas are grading well and the, the production associated with those areas is bad. That's usually the difference. I think the majority of that difference can usually be ascribed to coaching, right, the scheme. That's, the, that's where you bridge that gap. And a lot of the times it works in the opposite direction, right? When guys aren't grading particularly well, but the results are insane, it's like, ah, your system's broken. No, what's happening is the, great, the, the, the scheme is creating something greater than the sum of the parts of yeah. the individuals. But I think what you're seeing with the Raiders is the exact opposite happening, which is nobody's grading terribly on offense generally, and yet the whole thing is a mess, which means the scheme is broken. Like, that's what's happening. And you turn on the tape and you see the same thing. I don't think Jimmy G is playing – as bad as his stats look. Yeah. But he's probably playing worse than he did in San Francisco. Uh, I think he's, he's been injured a lot in his NFL career. I think that's probably taken something from him. But it's those two things put together. Like, you're getting a slightly diminished version of Jimmy G, and you've taken him away from, like, the best system in the NFL for making him look good and plugged him into one of the worst. Yeah, I also wonder how <coughs> much the uh, McDaniels, it's the Earhart-Perkins system, which is completely yeah. – it's like – polar opposite of the West Coast system. It's like the one system in the NFL that doesn't bear resemblance to any other system. Yeah. I mean, you'll get some plays that are called differently, but they look the same. Like, they'll still run mesh, right? Yeah. Everybody runs mesh. But it is a different – it's different terminology. It's different ways of how you look at things pre-snap, post-snap. Whereas Shanahan in particular and his whole tree, the whole Shanahan tree is like, man, just just do what I say – Go from here to here to here and throw it, right, and get rid of it. Where there's a lot, I think there's a little bit more thinking in McDaniel's offense, which again, Derek Carr was in old school West Coast offense with John Gruden and then goes to McDaniel's and something's different. Garoppolo is in old school West Coast offense with Shanahan, basically, and then goes to McDaniel's. And so, how do you, like, Josh McDaniel's teaching something from scratch, even though Garoppolo was in it before mm-hmm. in New England, he'd had most of his success in San Francisco. So, Man, there's a lot to discuss with all of this. Mm-hmm. But um, Raiders are three and five, and we got a got a new crew, and uh, Walt wants Jim Harbaugh. Ah, in 2000. I thought we were gonna have to send a wellness check on Walt. He hadn't been in the chat. He's all right. He's he's That's he's good. ready to go. He knows. Um, but so you know, Mark Davis has sort of said we're an exhaustive process search, yada yada. Like, who's running this search? I mean, we we highlighted the hires he's made so far in his career as running this thing it's not been good maybe it's time for a consultant gm yes yes mark if you're listening now consultant gm consultant billionaire number one get rid of that haircut first thing well, first thing's got to go i number two you need consultant palazzolo here to hire your new general manager and your new head coach between us we can get this thing done i know there is at least one raiders front office member who is uh at least as of maybe a year ago, was an astute listener of the PFF NFL podcast. Okay. I well, assume he's still us, here. Between us, we can fix this whole organization top to bottom. I can teach Mark how to be a better billionaire, and you can oh, teach true. Yeah. And you can teach him how to hire the right people. But you would teach him that a good billionaire would make, would make himself GM. No, not, necessarily, not, a good, not, not necessarily. I'm saying that's, a good, that's definitely a good way to go about things, but it doesn't mean you're a bad billionaire if you don't do that. True. Well, I'm available. Um, I wouldn't have drafted Tyree Wilson at seven. I'm just saying, there's some things I would have done differently (laughs) and will do differently. Some mistakes have been made. As the GM of the Raiders. The PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. 
So we got our Thursday night lineup. You ready? Sure. Tajay Spears, we're going more than 12 and a half receiving yards. Okay. And Will Levis, more than 202 and a half passing yards. That's our pick for prize picks. That's our lineup for Thursday night football. Tajay, you know, they're they're getting creative with him. They're putting him on the wing and throwing him little shovel passes and everything. Yeah. So that's why we're that's not that's why we're going down this yards, route yeah. here. Yeah. So Thursday night football, we're going to be watching Will Levis. We want more uh, receiving yards and passing yards. That's what we're going for for Tajay Spears and Will Levis. And then with basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. That's getting league crazy. Cre- yeah, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. With or without Taylor Swift <laughs> in attendance. Want to play alongside some of PrizePix's favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian and- Andrew Schultz? You can do that. You can now find community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community. No way you know who Andrew Schultz is. Listen, if Al on Thursday Night Football can, can promote two chains and call them Deuce, then I can, I can make it through this, all right? Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play, even if one of your players doesn't, even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, it's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. You don't need to question me on this. Al in 2 chains, they're tight or whatever. They do some stuff, and uh, he promotes them every Thursday night on Prime. You know the game where the Thursday night game where Taylor Swift was there and, and people were sort of commending Al for st- you know, sticking to the football and not indulging in the whole hoopla. And somewhere there was an interview or something with Al, and he basically was like, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a moralistic decision. He's like, I just don't really know who Taylor Swift is. <laughs> I have limited information I can give when she comes on screen, so I just ignore it. You think <laughs> Al's going to drop one of those jokes with like one of her song titles or right. something? Like a, just a yeah. constant string of puns with Taylor Swift songs? Like He was basically like, look, I don't even know who she is, so when she comes on the screen, I'll, I... I run out of things to say pretty quickly, so I just ignore it and keep talking about the football. All right, so that's over a half hour on the Raiders. Let's go to trade deadline yesterday. You and Brad talked Montez Sweat to the Bears yesterday? Yes. What was your— You apparently have thoughts that contradict us. So Montez Sweat, a pending free agent, trading a second-round pick for him. Yeah. Um, I think it's better than the Chase Claypool trade last year that the Bears made. we said that. Yeah, so as a starting point. I love Montez Sweat as a player. Mm-hmm. Like, not love, I'll say. He's a very good player. Yeah. 14th most valuable edge defender since 2020 using PFF War. He's been durable. He's a very good run defender, solid uh, pass rusher. Mm-hmm. My problem is a lot of the problem that other people have with this is the fact that he is a pending free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see it as paying a second rounder for 10 games of him. I see it as paying a second rounder for the right to negotiate early with Montez Sweat. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's worth it. It doesn't mean – so if he hits free agency um, without being on the Bears, the Bears theoretically have the same opportunity to sign Montez Sweat as anyone else. Um, you could argue, hey, why would he go to the Bears? I mean, why wouldn't he? If you give him the right money, he would go. Are the Bears going to save a little bit of money by negotiating early? Maybe. They still have a ton of money to spend. And 
I don't know if a second round pick in the middle of a rebuild is the right move for the right to negotiate with Montez Sweat. I mean, I work on the basis that I don't think they're getting this. I don't think they're doing this trade unless they are fairly convinced that it will not be that difficult to sign Montez Sweat to an extension. Um, so that's the first part. I think they have, I assume they've had enough contact with his representatives to know like where they are in terms of what do you want? What are we happy to give up? How close apart are we? And do we think that's going to happen or not? Number two, to kind of get to test drive the car here, right? Like you could go to free agency, but you'll pay a premium because you're competing with everybody else that wants him. And you've never seen him in your defense or in the building, or you don't have firsthand, you know, idea of what he's about. Now you get half a season of having him to avert disaster if it turns out it's a train wreck, right? That's valuable. It might not be second round valuable, but it's valuable. Uh, you're probably going to get him cheaper if you manage to sign him during the course of the season than if you let him hit free agency and have to compete with everybody else. Everybody that signs before a deal gets to free agency, signs for below market value relative to that, that bidding process. So that has value as well. Um, and then the third point is, if you get all that done, if you get a deal done, you extend them, yada, yada. Like at some point, you need to spend the picks on players that are good and useful and part of your team. And I made the point yesterday that, you know, this uh, the, Latu might be the best edge rusher in the upcoming draft, right? Montez Sweat's probably better. So oh, for know. a second round pick, you're going to get a guy who's as good, if not better, than the guy who's going to go at the top of the draft in the first round and is like the best player available this offseason. So I, I'm fine with it. I think it's a win for everybody. But there's, there's also a non-zero chance, as the nerds would say. There's a chance that they could have had Montez Sweat plus the 37th pick, the 40th pick, whoever yeah. it might be. You could have both. Right. There's also a chance they would have used the 37th pick or whatever it's going to be on an edge rusher who's yeah, almost certainly going to be worse than Montez Sweat. It doesn't matter, but you could have both. Yeah, you but if you want to go, both. Like, yes, you could. But alternatively, if you're going to spend that pick on that spot anyway. Like the 40th pick on the consensus board right now is Chris Jenkins from Michigan. Good run, Chris Jenkins kid, I believe. Uh, good run-stopping defensive tackle for Michigan. You could have Chris Jenkins plus Montez Sweat. Yeah. That's the problem. Just making up names right now. But, you know, you could have two players instead of one. Giving up a second in the middle of the rebuild to a pending free agent. And, oh, by the way, you're making this assumption, and maybe they will get a deal done or whatever, um, but they, they might not. Right? Yeah, I mean, if they don't get a deal done, then a second-round pick for him for half a season is a bad and, move. And then it probably becomes a, a third-round comp pick. Right. Right. Um, I think from a Washington but, perspective— as Brad was pointing out yesterday, they're unlikely to get that because— They're going to have to spend. Yes. Yes. So it's not— you know, if this But that's even a, worse. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If they don't get a deal done with him, then a second-round pick for him was, was a bad move. But I'm disaster. assuming they're going to. A disaster yeah. of a move. At which if point, the case. if they do, I don't think it's a bad move at all. In fact, I think it's a good one because, look, at some point, you need to actually add good players to your team. And when you're trying to – when you have a lot of moves that need to happen, I think there's value in getting a guarantee as opposed to, hey – I'm going to take a second-round pick. I'm going to draft a Chris Jenkins or a whoever your edge rusher is or whoever what position is. Like, there's value in the certainty of Montez Sweat is good. We know that. Yeah. No, I, I, like, I like the certainty. I don't care for the test drive idea. They've done it the two straight years. Um, the Claypool thing, 
I was talking myself into it a year ago because he had a year and a half left on his rookie deal as well. And it's like, all right, we do get to build some chemistry with him and Justin Fields. Turns out Claypool was just a disaster, and of course it looks bad now. Mm-hmm. And it also became the first pick of the second round, yes. making it look that much worse. But I, I kind of got the some of the reasoning there when they had no playmakers there in Chicago. So um, I don't know. I have some questions about that. And then uh, Chase Young gets traded from Washington to the San Francisco 49ers for a third rounder, which happens to be a third round compensatory pick, which is now allowed to be trade. So it's a pickup in the 90s, hundreds, right? Low, high 90s, low hundreds. Mm-hmm. Comp pick for Chase Young to the Niners. I, the Niners have already added Randy Gregory this year as well. Yeah, the, yeah they're, they are assembling multiple players that seem perfectly fit for that. Uh, the kind of what I, what I think people still call the D Ford role opposite Nick Bosa. You know, that sort of designated speed rusher on the other side to an already ridiculous defensive line. There were multiple... Um, moves made yesterday at the trade deadline where my initial reaction was kind of like, did the other team not know that this was a deal available? Like, did Washington not know that the better edge rusher was also available for less than they paid for, or did the Bears rather not know that the better edge rusher on Washington was actually available I, for less than they paid for the guy I don't know that in. Chase Young is better than Montez Sweat. I, don't I know that think we do know that Chase Young is better than Montez Sweat. I don't we know don't that. know that he'll be playing as much as Montez Sweat. We, with the injury history, Montez Sweat, his dependability. Articulate being for me in really a way, good against the run. <laughs> articulate for me in a way that does not include playing time. How Montez well, War, War includes playing time. I think they're comparable okay. players. I don't think they are. At I all. think they're comparable. There's no, players. there's no way you can make that case from their NFL careers. Like Chase Young has been a markedly better pass rusher than Montez Sweat. Now you can say Montez Sweat has been a better run defender, but yeah, aren't their grades similar when they've been on the field? No. Pretty sure they have. Chase Youngs have been better, and they're better this year than they've ever been. And when you consider the injuries that he's been dealing Chase Young's with. never had a career, a, a season grade higher than Sweat's 86 last year. Are you looking at the right guy? His rookie year was better than that. Higher than 86? 87.1. Oh. Right out of the gate. Yeah, well, he wasn't hurt. Then he got that. hurt, right? And we had grades in the 70s, well, 75, the 78. And then we're Chase bouncing back a, this yeah. year with Young a career a high. pass rusher. Right. With a career high in pass rushing grade. He's still only 24. And he was the, I mean, th- this world of, we're reaching the end of it now, but given a guy's injury history, like priors still matter. He was arguably the best pass rushing prospect we'd ever seen come into the NFL. That's still relevant when you're talking about what he can be now that he's fully healthy going to a team that already has a stupidly good defensive line and defense overall. It is the injury concern. Correct. I mean, I would rather take a swing on Chase Young because I do think that upside is there. I right. get it. But I, I just, I'm trying to not downplay, I think, how good I think Montez Sweat actually is. But my point being... But Chase Young upside is crazy. We went into this collectively all sort of saying, you know, Washington had put themselves in this weird spot. And there's a discussion to be had there, by the way, that like they got rid of both these guys. I, they, I do want to go back and revisit that for But a they had put themselves in this weird spot where because they didn't pick up Chase Young's fifth-year option and Montez Sweat's contract is expiring, now you've got two different edge rushers represented by the same person and you were only going to be able to keep one of them because of that, right? They, there's, there's no way of playing one off against the other and getting a deal done. The most you could do is like one franchise tag and one of them walks out in free agency. So it made sense for them to move one of them. And all the reports before the deadline were Montez Sweat was the guy who was fielding the calls. And he was the one that looked like he was on the way out. They end up shipping both of them out, which kind of... And 
And because Chase Young goes for less, despite being younger, better, and um, playing better right now, I think, you're kind of left with the idea of, like, did Chicago not know that they could have had him as well? For, for like, It sort of feels like buyer's remorse almost. Hey, we got a deal done. We got our guy. And then, like, an hour later, Chase Young goes for less, for less, for a lower pick. The injury, a significantly lower pick. The injury question marks are, they're not just, like, I admit I brush past the injury concerns a lot when we do our analysis. Because first off, I don't have official medicals. And I'm not a doctor. But secondly, <laughs> even if you did have official yeah. medicals, they would be meaningless. They'd be, to you. be meaningless. Yeah. But secondly, because I like shiny things and names, mm. and so Chase Young, the name, of course, is more attractive than Montez Sweat. But if you're the Bears and you're sitting there in the building and you're like, I can have Montez Sweat, durable, know what I'm going to get, uh, consistency, Chase Young, the injury. Is he the same as he was a couple of years ago? Is the upside still really there? Like that, that is a debate that is not just a, well, Chase Young's definitely is better and younger. Let's grab him, right? So those are real debates in discussions within the building. They are, but I think those only get you as far as saying Montez Sweat is about as good as Chase Young because he's a worse player, but he's more durable and hasn't been injured and he's probably going to play more. Um, I don't think that gets you as far as saying he's worth – not just a whole round more in draft pick, but we're talking, they're the opposite extremes of the round, right? So it's basically two rounds difference is what it's they're about paying 60, It's about 60 picks of difference. Yeah, which yes. is about two rounds worth, yeah. right? So I don't, I don't see how you can get there, even factoring in the fact that Chase Young has been injured, which, by the way, might not be a thing going forward. It's just, yes, he has missed a lot of time, uh, but we don't know if that's going to be a factor going forward. So that, to me, I, like, again, I... I find it difficult to believe that that Chicago saw the second deal and was happy. Maybe. Um, I, I want to go back from a Washington perspective, though. Deron Payne was the guy that kind of put all of this in motion. Uh, not him specifically, but Washington re-signing him to a $22.5 million deal this offseason. Um, at the time, I was thinking, okay, you have Jonathan Allen locked up. They, they, they signed Deron Payne to a massive deal. And then they neglected Chase Young's fifth-year option. And I was like, okay, something's coming to a head here because you got to pay Montez Sweat at some point or you're going to see what you have in Chase Young and try to pay him. You probably, you certainly can't pay both. And it turns out it's going to be neither of them. Mm. I, Deron Payne, from just a pure grading standpoint, is not going to look as good as Sweat or Chase Young. From a scarcity standpoint, a 320-pounder who could play nose, play over the guard, and be an effective player. He's been a top 20 player, Deron Payne, from a PFF war standpoint over the last two years. From a scarcity standpoint, I kind of get it. Like, there's not a whole lot of 320-pounders who can do that type of stuff that Deron Payne does. But I don't think, in isolation, he's a better player than Montez Sweat or Chase Young. So I really thought that the commanders paid the fourth-best defensive lineman on their team $22 million plus per year at a four-year contract. I'm not saying it was completely wrong, because it's a different role. But I th that made me think, man, I'd, I'd still rather have Chase Young and Montez Sweat, I think, going forward if I can. And so now we're at a point where Washington has no edge, defender, edge defenders and they've got, you know, this rebuild on their hands. But I think they're debating, hey, we could, we could pay Deron Payne and then what can we get for those two other guys? So in their, I always use the balance sheet example. In Washington's balance sheet, it's I can have Deron Payne plus what I can get from 
Chase Young and Montez Sweat, which turned out to be a second and a third, right? That's what I'm getting versus letting Deron Payne work, walk, getting a similar comp pick probably, but also keeping one of those edge defenders. So that's what they were – that's what they're weighing there, I guess. It's not – I don't think it's terrible, but I don't know if that's the route I would have gone. Yeah, it's just a notable departure from the previous MO from that franchise, which tended to be – not getting anything for players, right? Like they would, the Kirk Cousins thing, right? We'll dither and we'll franchise and then we'll let him walk and we'll get nothing for it. They, they, that was their sort of strategy, not even strategy, like they were getting pilloried for it. But that was what tended to happen is players would leave Washington and they would get nothing out of it. Here, they've gone the exact opposite direction and said, okay, we put, their, put ourselves in this ugly back against the wall scenario. And rather than damage limitation, let's get rid of one and try and re-sign the other. They've just gone to hell with it. Let's cash in now, get what we can for both of them. Even though, like, they're reasonably competitive this year. They could be a playoff team. I mean, they could shoot for that wild card spot in the NFC. And they've gone, nope, we're cashing in now. We're getting what we can. Just a complete about face in terms of how they usually operate Which, with a new owner. I think it's smart. I mean, we've talked about that the seven seed in the NFC is so wide open. Literally any team, like the Panthers, are still in the mix for the seven seed in the NFC. But Washington knows as a franchise they need to try to leapfrog the Cowboys and the Eagles right. who are way ahead of them. So it is the right move there. From a 49ers perspective, we now look at a defensive line, as I tweeted yesterday. Could you imagine telling 2019 self in four years, Nick Bosa and Chase Young are going to be reunited in the NFL on the same defensive line? It seems crazy. Yeah. Right? Um, but Nick Bosa and Chase Young – to go with Randy Gregory and Cleveland Farrell and Drake Jackson on the edge. And at defensive tackle, you have Javon Hargrave and Eric Armstead. You also have Javon Kinlaw, Kevin Givens. I mean, they are literally nine deep in legitimate NFL players and five deep in five or six deep in above average NFL starters. Five or six deep on that defensive line. So um, loading, loading up. In San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that Chase Young, given the way he's playing now and given that he's been healthy this year, and by the way, not just healthy, but he's been playing most of the snaps. Like, they're not keeping him, you know, on a pitch count. They're not limiting his workload. He's playing the whole time. He is back. Uh, if that continues this season, even though Washington has a good defensive line, like, it's not like he's gone from the Miles Garrett situation from a year ago when it was him and nobody else. He's had good help around him. I think that that 49ers defense is a better situation for him to excel than it was in Washington. Chase Young, as of this year, you're right, Chase Young is playing better than Montez Sweat this year. I'm not, not arguing that point, but Chase Young, number 13 most valuable edge so far this year. And despite what some may say about Nick Bosa, he's up at number two most valuable. Mm. Still winning, still defeating blocks. I know the Niners defense has looked trashed the last couple of weeks. <laughs> But Nick Bosa is still doing his job. He doesn't have any sacks, though. How can he be playing well? Does he have? What does he have for sacks? Like three. Oh, how could he be playing well? That's what I'm saying. So yeah, love that move for the Niners, and and for Washington, really. Maybe they could have gotten more for him for Chase Young. I don't know if they. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I'm just the disparity between the two is the surprising thing to me. It's not necessarily that Sweat's deal was too high or that Young's is too low. It's they shouldn't be two rounds apart, yeah, given the players they are. Um, also, from a Washington perspective, would they, they, would they have gotten the same comp pick? Or are they going to go out and pay people in free agency? And they're just locking in. Right. Let's get this top 100 pick locked in here He's right now. He's got four sacks now after the weekend. <clears throat> oh, good for him.
All right, so a couple other deals. We have Rasul Douglas going from the Packers to the Bills. I like that move. Yeah. Um, Bills like to play zone. Mm -hmm. um, they will play press man to mix it up, game plan specific. And <laughs> and because Kyrie Elam has to go on the field. <laughs> yeah, and when they have to we have Kyrie Elam out there. But Douglas, is a, he's a ball hawk, man. Mm. Now, so, yeah, Douglas has been playing very well, actually, since he got to Green Bay, pretty much. Um, he'd had some time in Philadelphia where he played well as well. Now, what he does, you're right, he's a ball hawk. And in the classic... Uh, in the classic design of those ball hawks that are ball hawks because they gamble. <laughs> he will jump routes. The Lions Thursday night football. Yeah. Play. And when he jumps routes, he will be susceptible to double moves. And there are double moves in his tape where he jumped the route and that wasn't the route. The key is to say, hey, safety. I'm jumping at this. I'm, I'm jumping. You, you got to know. know when you got help. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I've played on some defenses where there has been communication that, hey, just a heads up, I'm not going to be here for this play. <laughs> you might need to think about it. That's what you need to bear in mind with Rasul Douglas is, look, he's going to challenge the receiver on the first route. But the second one, he might not be there. So for a defense like Buffalo, that's probably not a bad thing, to be honest. Like, they're pretty good at keeping those safeties, you know, in the right kind of place. They're pretty good at challenging those plays. I, I'm kind of okay with adding a, a guy that's like that, that's going to make life difficult on the, on, uh, on the first look, but the second look might be a problem. It's also a much better fit. Like if this is a whole design to like just keep Kyrie Elam off the field, it's a better fit. No, it's good. It's good depth uh, addition for the Bills here. Um, Douglas is his highest grade. Three of his four highest graded seasons were the last three years. Um, the Rasul Douglas story I always remember was I was on the when we were at, were you there? You never came to the Senior Bowl, I don't think. But nope. I was on the sideline at the Senior Bowl in 2017 when he was there. He was coming out of West Virginia where he played off coverage all the time, and same thing, right? Yeah. Same skill set that he has now is what he had then: off coverage, ball hawk, gonna make a ton of plays. But he's six two and long, mm -hmm. so at the Senior Bowl, it's like, all right, this guy's got press man length and everything. Like he's got to work on it though. He must have had seven straight holding penalties at some point. I mean, the ref, because you yeah, have the refs there. They have like actual refs, you know. And, and it felt like he's either working on stuff or he's just not going to get it. Um, and, and press man's never really been Rasul Douglas's game. Mm -hmm. But like you said, when he went to Green Bay, you know, use your eyes, uh, understand route concepts, know when to take chances. Douglas is really good at that. That's why he's had, um, he had four interceptions last year, five the previous year with Green Bay. And that's, just a product of kind of how he plays. Yeah, I, li I like the move for uh, Buffalo. I think that's a smart addition in a scheme that fits him um, and potentially, again, like not to dump on Kyrie Elam, but clearly they don't want him on the field, and this gets them further away from having to do that. Going to tell you about our next partner, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every day here on the PFF NFL podcast. We gave it a try because love getting those nutrients and just kicking off my day with AG1, right with my coffee, makes me feel great. And uh, for someone like Sam, you know, helped him uh, kick his uh, illness last week, whatever you were fighting, got you over the hump there. So we appreciate AG1 here on the PFF NFL podcast. All great athletes have one thing in common, they take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and that's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, I'm setting myself up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give me the key daily nutrients and support, energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's that micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take care of their health every single day. 
So I just mix a small scoop with water, drink it first thing every morning, and then you're done. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL podcast. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. One final note to the Raiders stuff is Aiden O'Connell is the starting quarterback now. Just another promotion. It is. Frankly, good. He's the only quarterback in the Raiders building that I'm remotely interested in seeing on the field. Interested in seeing that. So here's the other thing I wonder with the Raiders thing. I said this at the time. It looks bad on the surface when it was we kicked Derek Carr out the building, as you would say, and brought in Jimmy Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. I also don't think that was their first option, right? I don't think they were like, hey, I know what I'll do. Well, we're going to reunite with Jimmy G. Jimmy G, right. Right? I think they thought we might be able to draft somebody. Maybe an Anthony Richardson was going to be there, and that was going to be their G- guy. Yeah, I mean, he was They the- played in the free agent market. They played in all the trade markets for quarterbacks. They played in the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes, right? They played in those worlds. They just didn't get it done. Yeah. So the failure, I think, was not getting it done. And then it was like, Jimmy G was your fifth option. Yeah. And then you brought him in. And you still never drafted the next guy or whatever it might be. Yeah, obviously free agency happens before the draft, but it felt like the Jimmy G signing was a kind of contingency for if we don't, at number seven, get one of these quarterbacks that we're interested in. Now, And once pre-draft, the Panthers jumped up, you lose you know, one potential option, right? Yeah, now pre-draft, people look at this and say, well, there's, there's a big four, and one of them was available, right? Levis, and maybe that's your mistake based off literally one game of Will Levis. But like... You had a chance to get him, but if the if the ones you were interested in were the big three that went one, two, and four, then you're shit out of luck and you're stuck with Jimmy G, right? But you're right. That's the failure is not necessarily identifying Jimmy G as your game plan, but the failure to create a plan A, right? If Jimmy G was plan B, that's fine, but you didn't come up with plan A, so you can only be judged on plan B. All right, where were we in... Uh... We did Douglas, uh, the Vikings, Josh Dobbs. And Ezra Cleveland traded out. So Josh Dobbs to the Vikings. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. I call him the rent-a-QB, rent-a-starter. Rent-a-starter. Josh Dobbs. How about the Arizona Cardinals traded for Dobbs before the season and then flipped him again midseason? That's why he got, quote-unquote, benched, right? There was an announcement a couple days ago that he wasn't going to start. Sorry. It was either going to be Clayton Toon yeah. or Kyler Murray, and it's because, well— they figured, well, Josh Dobbs has some value. Yeah. Um, to other teams. I guess. it. It's kind of interesting. Like, from a Vikings perspective, I think Dobbs is probably about as good as they could have done. Like, there's, it, it's not easy to replace a starting quarterback midway through the season. Dobbs, it's not like he's been good, but he hasn't been terrible. And he brings a legitimate, like, dual threat, an athletic threat, a scrambling threat <coughs> that Cousins doesn't, right, obviously. So clearly he's a step down from Cousins as a passer, as a, as a quarterback, but he does at least bring an element that Cousins didn't bring, which I guess enables you to do some things schematically that you couldn't with Cousins and maybe try and bridge the gap between the two on the coaching side of things rather than expecting Josh Dobbs to be as good as Kirk Cousins. So, you know, when you consider their alter- alternative options, and I know they said that um, uh, Jer- Jaron Hall is going to start this week. Number one, wouldn't be 100% guaranteed on that 
Number two, even if he does, I wouldn't expect it to last longer than a week, to be honest. But anyway, their options were Jaron Hall, the fifth-round rookie from BYU. Uh, Nick Mullins is on IR. He's going to come back, I think, week 10. So muddle through a couple of weeks, and then Nick Mullins gets the gig. And then Sean Mannion, the perennial, like, Vikings have him stuffed on the roster or, or practice squad somewhere, always, just in case of emergency. In case of emergency, break casket, throw in Sean Mannion. So when you consider those are their options on the roster or at least available to them, Dobbs should be better than all of those guys. Um, and then you look at and say, it was a report that I think was debunked but was at least out there that the Vikings took a run at Jameis Winston and the Saints said no. Um, Whatever that report was came from a questionable account, I yeah. believe. Then there's Jacoby Brissett, who was apparently being talked about. I mean, these are your alternative options if you're the Vikings. And number one, maybe they couldn't get any of those done. Number two, the price for them probably was going to be more than what they paid for Dobbs, which effectively is going down from the sixth round to the seventh round. Like, when that is your compensation for draft picks, it's it's as good as you could do. Yeah. <clears throat> it's just it's fascinating to me that Josh Dobbs has become this guy, right? Last year yeah. during the season, Tennessee Titans bring him in when Ryan Tannehill's hurt, and they brought him in to start not o- not just over Malik Willis pretty much in a week, but over Malik Willis with the division on the line, yeah. right? Josh Dobbs gets thrown out there in a game where if they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, they're going to be, I think, win the division or at least have it in hand. That's how important that game was, and the Titans went to Josh Dobbs. Arizona wasn't like there was like, hey, we got to make a playoff run. We need Josh Dobbs. But before the season, clearly they didn't think that Clayton Toon, fifth rounder, was ready to start, mm-hmm. and they said, we need a starter. So they called the Cleveland Browns and get Josh Dobbs. And um, now the Cardinals are, you know, Kyler Murray's back, and, you know, maybe they feel more comfortable with Toon out there for at least a game or two, and they're willing to trade Dobbs to a team like the Vikings who are in the playoff mix and need an immediate starter, you know, uh, aerospace engineer, whatever he was at Tennessee, super smart. He's going to pick up the playbook and go. Um, it's just interesting to me that Dobbs has become – essentially like QB 32 around the NFL, the guy that you just you know pick up and uh, gets thrown around when teams need starters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, top, the top guy in the QB backup, the backup QB house. Did we ever bring that to the show? I think the, so, yeah. The, the discussion of the backup QB house? Yeah, absolutely. They should all live at the house, like the Heisman house, and just you know when teams need somebody, they call them up. Well, Dobbs seems to be the one answering the phone every single time. Mm-hmm. No, I, so I, I think... The interesting thing for Minnesota is we were talking about what a cakewalk their schedule is for a while. Like, Dobbs could keep them in this. It's not, you know, he's not, again, he's not good. He's as good as they could have done. And he had Arizona in every single game. Now, okay, they lost all of them except one. But he at least was keeping it close. And the Vikings have a, have a better team and a worse schedule. So it isn't inconceivable that, that Josh Dobbs could actually do this and keep the Vikings alive for a while. And I think that aerospace engineer thing like literal rocket scientist that's going to get brought up a lot i mean he's already shown the ability to learn a playbook in a week again i wouldn't rule out the idea that he starts this week uh even if kevin o'connell has said it's going to be uh jaron hall and even if it is hall i wouldn't expect that to last longer than a week unless hall goes out there and like absolutely balls out in which case you know because the alternative is josh dobbs like what the hell you might as well give him the next game. I mean, if he balls out, for sure. Right. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that, though. So, interesting move by the Vikings saying, hey, we're going to stay afloat here. Um, and then 
Ezra Cleveland traded to the Jacksonville Jaguars from the Vikings. Mm. Um, for a sixth rounder, right? Yeah, that's that feels light for Cleveland. He's a solid player. Well, so again, this in this world of like, did other teams not know the the Jets? Uh, the Jets had come out. I think Joe Joe Douglas had said, or was it Salah? One of the two had said, like nobody's nobody's trading offensive linemen. Like, yeah, I know you guys want us to bring in people, but everyone there's an offensive line crisis in the NFL. People are not dealing away starting quality offensive linemen. And then meanwhile, the Vikings ship one off for a six-round pick because they brought in Dalton Reisner, who is an upgrade or at least the same, and they've just decided to go in a different direction. Now, the Jets end up signing Roger Saffold, who last year looked just done, broken down, wrecked, injured, destroyed, unless he's – and they're – Signed him to the practice squad with that idea of elevating him and, you know, using him uh, in future. But, like, between those two pieces of information, were they not aware that Ezra Cleveland was available for a six-round pick? Because if they were, I can't see why a six-rounder would prevent you doing that deal if you're the Jets. Um, I mean, in part because he's, he's in the last year of his contract. Sure. So it's, it's, it is a rental. Um, why would Minnesota do it? Are they not, they're not going to resign? A guy like Cleveland? No. Not once you've dumped him for Dalton Reisner. I don't know, man. Did we, are, are we overrating Ezra Cleveland? We have him as the 12th, 16th, 32nd, like, you know, top 15 to 30 guard. I think he's in a— In the NFL from a grading and value standpoint. He's a, he's a solid—not even—he's I mean, a capable starting caliber guard, right? Which you just said is difficult to find. Yeah, in the NFL, that's the thing. So those like, types of guys, like guys that we that we have in a similar level of production, who have gotten paid in free agency, guys like Lakin Tomlinson, Alex Kappa, James Daniels, Austin Corbett, those guys have all made between eight and thirteen million dollars a year. I'm assuming Cleveland's going to make similar at the end of the season. Sure, but the Jets are in this weird position where they they're trying to stay alive this season with this hope that Rodgers is going to come back. Like they openly stated yesterday that. They expect Rodgers back. Now, they didn't, I don't think, give a time on that. Like, that that can be anything from, you know, in November to next year. <laughs> That's those are very different things. But it seems to be that they are actually trying to keep this thing going with the idea that Rodgers could return this year. Either scenario there, or sort of both those scenarios put together, require your offensive line to be better. Ezra Cleveland did not play in four games, Walt. He played in six right up until the 49ers game. Stop talking with Walt in the chat. I glanced at the chat, and the dude's in there in all caps so I could see it. Yes. He's yelling at us. Yeah. But he's wrong. Um, Ezra Cleveland to the Jags. I mean, I like that for the Jags. They needed to tighten up on the offensive line anyway. Um, And then the last one we want to talk about, Donovan Peoples-Jones traded from the Cleveland Browns to the Detroit Lions. Mm -hmm. Another downfield playmaker for the Lions? This is going to cut into Jamison Williams' snaps. Yeah, it's hard not to view that as something of an indictment on their view of Jamison Williams. Um, That's my initial take on it, right? I mean, when I was, we've talked a lot about Khalif Raymond on this show, the number four receiver for the Lions who just makes a ton of plays down the field explosive playmaker i think the lions were hoping jameson williams would be khalif raymond plus similar downfield playmaking ability but also maybe a little bit more high high volume right if needed raymond has continued to produce 
outproduce Jamison Williams. And when they're both on the field at the same time, I'm of the mind, of course, that's difficult for defenses. you got to account for both guys. But Jamison Williams is just having so much trouble catching the football, running routes the right way. I mean, it just looks awkward and rough right now. Donovan Peoples-Jones has been really up and down throughout his career, but at his best, he's a downfield, big-bodied playmaker. And so that is definitely intriguing, I think, for the Lions and and putting more of a – more pressure on the opposing defense. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton of, um, I don't have a ton of confidence or love for Donovan Peoples-Jones in terms of what he brings on the field. But that the, the Jameson Williams part of it is the most interesting element to me. Like this, it's hard not to view it as some kind of indictment. As even if it's only a short-term thing, like we don't trust what he's doing right now, and you can kind of see why. I mean, his speed plays, his explosion, his explosiveness is impressive, but. You can't trust him to catch the football at the moment, which is a problem. I'm going to answer Walt one more time. Oh, God. (sighs) One more time. Don't laugh back there. He says the Jags website says Ezra Cleveland has played four games for Minnesota in 2023. What are you doing? But PFF, who grades every player on every play, we got him with six games. Uh Yeah. So I'm going to go with PFF. Let me double check. Let me go second source <laughs> of PFF. I'm going to look up Ezra Cleveland in two different apps here. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of hoping Walt's right now. We'll see. Now I can't find. I never played defense. We're going to click offense here. Definitely never played defense, no. Yeah, we got six games here. 372 snaps, Walt. Mm-hmm. Played against Tampa Bay, Philadelphia. What? Chargers, Panthers, Chiefs, and Bears. Great. 372 snaps. Glad we got that sorted. All right, Walt. There you go. What else? Trade deadline stuff here. That was it, right? Was there any trade? Any consultant questions? What I should have done? No. So apparently, so let's go back to the Raiders. (laughs) Okay. Aiden O'Connell has been named the starter. It sounds like uh, Greg Rosenthal said between, I I didn't hear all of this, but between, between Albert Breer's reporting and this move, I think Greg, two G's, is theorizing the Brian Hoyer start against the Bears was the straw. That cost Josh McDaniels his job? Yeah. I mean, it does seem like a little bit of, hey, I know Jimmy G. I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll make do with Jimmy G. And then bringing in Hoyer and starting Hoyer over O'Connell was kind of, uh, you know, too many familiar faces with McDaniels that did not seem to work out. I mean – to me, that just, like, the Hoyer decision was, was sort of, do you want to win short-term or do you want to win long-term? I mean, you could get on board with that. You're a, you're a faux billionaire I, sitting there. You, Mark, like, Davis is having the same conversation with Josh McDaniels. Like, we know what Brian Hoyer is. Been in the league since 09. Yeah. We got this. Look, I was making that point at the time, right? Nobody wants to see another game of Brian Hoyer. But I would actually acknowledge, uh, based off what we saw from Aiden O'Connell, that Hoyer probably does give you a better chance to win certain games, right? So the, the question, if you're Josh McDaniels and, like, the owner comes saying, what the hell are we doing starting this guy, is, well, do you want to win the next game or do you want to win next year? Because those are probably two different answers to this quarterback thing, right? And if, I mean, if they had that conversation and he was like, well, win every game, then Hoyer was the right call, probably. Um but the problem is, like, those are your options. Like, that's really the, the issue is that 
Jimmy G is bad and injured <clears throat> all the time. Yeah. Brian Hoyer is plan B. And this mustachioed guy who played out of his mind in preseason is like the shiny object that may be a silver bullet to the whole concept and you're not putting him in. That's the dynamic at play here. Like that itself is the problem. Uh, the one last uh, trade that was, that's being yelled at us in the chat. Uh, did you guys talk Leonard Williams to Seattle? Yes. Okay, so you already discussed that on, mm -hmm. you, on yesterday's show? Yep. But a uh, good solid move for Seattle. Leonard Williams, good player. Mm -hmm. That's my analysis. Good player. Nice. Still so, a good player. Durable. And they've added um, high-volume approach on the defensive line by Seattle between the offseason, basically over the last two years. Still don't really have any stars there, but I think it's gotten incrementally better mm -hmm. up front for the Seahawks. So despite whatever the sack total say, they're still not great, but I think it's a good, it's a good group there. Good group in Seattle. Mm -hmm. All right, man. Good stuff. We got other stuff to do. Yeah. We got to go. Work. Yeah, more work. All right, well, thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow, week nine, preview. Get ready for two great hours tomorrow. But thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow.